this is an issue that that definitely underreported. There is much more bullying and hazing going on than actually gets reported, and certainly a lot more than actually hits the news. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. The topic of bullying in the fire service does not come up very often, but it does happen. Joining me for this show is my wife, Rhonda Orr, who hosts the podcast Bullying Life and Stuff at BullyingLifeAndStuff.com. She also writes a newspaper column that deals with bullying, Dear Rhonda and Dr. Sherry. Welcome back to Code 3, Rhonda. Thank you, Scott. The Nicole Mittendorf case in April 2016 was a very public exception to that lack of attention. Nicole was a 31-year-old firefighter in Fairfax County, Virginia. She committed suicide by hanging, leaving a note saying that she had been cyberbullied by coworkers. Then, in 2013, a jury awarded a female firefighter in Ohio $1.7 million after she was sexually harassed. That same year, a male firefighter in Arkansas was charged with the sexual assault of a female colleague. And earlier this year, a firefighter in California, Lisa Marie Mason, filed a lawsuit charging several members of her department with sexual harassment. Now look, as a whole, we know firefighters are some truly quality people, but every group has some bad actors. What can we do to stop this kind of behavior? Our guest today to help answer that is David Daniels. He's a member of the IAFC Safety, Health, and Survival Section Board, and he heads up the IAFC's anti-bullying efforts as well. David is the president of ID2 Solutions, where he's known as the Safety Guy. He's been the executive director of Workforce Safety in the office of Atlanta's mayor. He's also served as a fire chief and emergency manager in three states. We'll have more on how to contact David later in the show. And David Daniels, welcome to Code 3. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here. Let's start with the basics. How common is this kind of behavior in firehouses? Well, um, I actually think that it's not only common in fire stations, but it's common in society, and it's definitely common in the workplace. I think part of the challenge in the United States is today, as as we speak, there is not necessarily a standard of care, if you will, for bullying. Bullying is technically still legal, but what happens is the products of the repeated health-harming behavior actually become the issue down the road. So what starts off is, you know, basic incivility where people just aren't being nice to one another progresses to 
you know, hazing and kind of poking fun, what people think is fun. But when it's repeated, it, it reaches the category of bullying. And when that bullying is perpetrated against someone who's in a protected class, you end up with a lawsuit and you're eventually going to lose. So I, I can make the argument this is a culture that starts without with not being nice to one another and ends up with bullying and harassment and hazing. So you would say that there are unique situations that are common in the fire industry as opposed to the general society? No, I, you know, I, I, I can't say that. I can't say that it's unique to fire service. That the only thing that might be unique about it is the, the venue itself, the fact that it's in a public building called a fire station. But the, the manifestations itself, so some of the things that happen in fire stations are the same things that happen at fraternities, that happen in clubs, that happen in all kinds of other groups. But the difference is those tend to be private organizations, and, and, and I don't condone it by any stretch of the imagination, but the problem with the fire service is these are public buildings where people just happen to work. And when that behavior comes into the public space, it not only costs the, the target of the bullying or the harassment, it also costs the public. Because ultimately those lawsuits that you talked about earlier, those are going to be paid by taxpayers. And taxpayers' services are affected by those lawsuits, and they're affected by employees who can't come to work or don't come to work because they've been bullied and harassed and don't want to be there, are out sick, are out injured. So ultimately, this is an issue that the public ought to care about because these are public dollars that are, uh, that are being used to pay off the lawsuits for the bad actions of people in the organization. Well, that's an excellent point. And would you say something like cyberbullying would be the most prominent action, or are you talking about hazing? Well, honestly, uh, much like uh, like other research in the fire service, the fire service does not have a deep a, a deep bundle or a deep basket of research. So it, it's hard for me to say, you know, objectively, which one is more more current or happens more often. As a matter of fact, one of the issues that we're working on now in this task group is to try to do some national research on the extent to which bullying and hazing and harassment exist in departments, but I can't say that's been done. So most of this is anecdotal, and we tend to find out about the big cases, again, the suicides and the, you know, and the lawsuits and things that hit the newspaper, but I'd be willing to wager that this is an issue that's, that's definitely underreported, there is much more bullying and hazing going on than actually gets reported, and certainly a lot more than actually hits the news. But, but again, we just don't have the, the evidence to support the numbers in terms of which is more frequent. The reality is, for the target, if it happens once or more times, that's probably too many times. That is too many times. Oh, I agree. I think that if you are developing something that is going to be a toolbox for everyone to use, and if only one person benefits from that and, let's say, doesn't commit suicide, that would be worth it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, as, I, you know, as I often share, I mean, I'm not only involved with the International Association of Fire Chiefs, I'm involved with the National Safety Council, it's government and public sector division chair, and we talk about how this is not, you know, this issue of bullying, it's for all public employees because public employees, and a lot of folks don't know this, but if you were to compare injury rates in the private sector and compare them to local government, the injury rates are 90% higher. Those are the physical injuries. 
but these bullying and harassment and hazing, they, they sometimes result in physical injuries, but more often than not, they're psychological injuries. And again, we don't have the hard data to prove it, but I'd argue that there are many, many, many more people who are injured emotionally than are injured physically. And if you use the same, you know, comparison between private and public, the, the argument is it is much worse in government because, you know, unfortunately, people don't like government as much as they once did. And so they tend to take it out not only on government workers, but, they, but government workers take it out on each other. So it's, it's a really sometimes tense and stressful environment. But again, we've got to have other tools. We shouldn't result to violence and degrading one another to get things done. And that, that's really the message I try to share with folks. It starts off with how, how come we can't get this work done and be civil and be warm and nice to one another? Why do we have to be so violent in our actions and in our words uh, while we're trying to get the people's business done? Now, I think there are some factors with fire service people that are a little different than anybody else. For instance, when they work 24 or 48 hours, the men and women are in constant contact that whole time. They don't go home at the end of the day and then come home and come back to work. And then there may also be the history of only having men with the job and a very small number of women that it seems like that may be part of the problem as well. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. The Again, there, there are numbers out there to suggest that the fire service is the least diverse, publicly funded service in this country. And so, again, that creates part of the problem because when you get a group, whether they be men or women or black or white or male or female, when you get a particular group who's homogeneous, they set up a system that they may enjoy, but not everyone does. And that is underneath it. That's a part of the challenge as society has become you know, or at least the country has become more diverse and people have different perspectives. Not all of that has worked its way into the fire service quite yet because they tend to kind of resist some of those changes. But that's a part of the challenge. You can get two white males, you know, one being raised in the city and other being raised in a rural environment, and they're going to see things different. But if it's predominantly a rural group, they're going to treat the guy from the city differently. And that's, that's a part of the challenge. And when I don't go along and you try to force me, that's when it starts to feel like bullying and harassment. Well, I would ask if you think that it's related to the fact that longer established fire departments might have a little less willingness to accommodate newcomers, be they women or whatever. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I mean, it's again, that's the human condition. The longer you've been doing whatever it is, you think you're right, you really do. But what's happening is people aren't, the fire service sometimes hasn't looked outside the fire station and figured out that the world has changed and uh, they need to change with it. Otherwise, you end up with these circumstances like, you know, like was talked about earlier. These lawsuits are a function of the world changing around these organizations because 25 or 30 years ago, that lawsuit never would have been filed. No one would have brought it up. It never would have been said. But if people, are, again, if you pay attention and have noticed me too and time's up and, and the conversations around you know sexual assault and violence in the workplace the world is changing and the fire service simply either has to change or it's going to be forced to by folks that you know are in political and elected positions they're going to make you do it so why not just do it early before you have to i'll be back with more right after this on any given day 
you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. Discover your success at federalresources.com. In the general public, most of the bullying is cyberbullying. I would say, you know, 70%. And out of that 70%, about half will not report the cyberbullying. And another cause is ostracizing. So how does that relate with the fire service? It, it, well, again, common is relative. If you have a culture that allows people to not be nice to one another, uh, ostracism is one of the tools that gets used. And, and uh, something I talk about in my presentations is that there, so bullying is basically a person versus another person. But there's another concept out there called mobbing, where it's the group against that person. And that happens often. That, that isn't necessarily even uh, a woman or a person of color. That might be the one person who's outspoken, the one person who doesn't want to go along with the rest of the group. Then they end up being mobbed by the group because that's an effort to try to bring them into compliance. And so uh, ostracism is certainly because people want to be a part of something. That's one reason why you know, folks uh, enjoy fire services as opposed to law enforcement. Law enforcement, sometimes you have to ride around in a car by yourself, but you get to ride around in a fire truck with other people. So it's a very, it's a, it's a really, uh, it's a tough situation to feel like you're not a part. And, and I'd agree with you. It, it is one of the tools that some bullies use to get back at other people. Let's shift gears for a moment. You pointed out just a moment ago that you give presentations on this subject. How do the audiences react? I mean, are they willing to say, yes, we have this problem, or are they sitting back there going, nope, that man, that's not us? Well, I, I found that the majority of people who sit in presentations, uh, like the ones that I give, uh, they're honestly the ones who, many of them are the targets themselves. They're the ones who come to something like this. They're not the ones who necessarily need to hear it, but they're the ones who know it exists. That, 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 that's right. That's right. Now, I, now again, I, I, I think that everybody needs to hear it, but it's just like many safety topics. Sometimes folks don't want to hear it until they're forced to, until some <laughs> circumstance happens, and then they kind of have to. Well, I find that uh, deflecting is the most common usage of how to get out of admitting that bullying is going on, certainly in the schools, but they use the phrases like, oh, just kidding. They claim that it's non-intentional. That's right. That's right. Well, here's here's something else that, again, I've, I've been sharing with folks is there's a lot of work that's being done right now in elementary school, middle school, and high school talking about the issue of bullying. And here's an issue for the fire service in the future. If you want these kids to come and work in your fire department, you're going to have to eradicate bullying because if you don't, they're not going to come work for you because they already know it's wrong. They've been told since they were in the sixth grade that bullying is wrong. They are not going to come into the fire station and take it, which means you're going to lose out on really good candidates. You're going to lose out on really qualified people. They won't want to work with you. 
And ultimately, those folks are going to get elected to city councils. They're going to get elected to state legislatures and to, and to county boards. And they're going to move you out anyway. So, again, the opportunity is why not fix this now while folks have the opportunity? Because I don't think we're going to go back. I just really don't think we will. That's fantastic. I know that uh, bullying in the general public because it's not reported as often as it should be, if you start to eradicate it in that industry and then people choose to go into the fire service because of what you were talking about, it's the familial, you know, it's kind of the family atmosphere. And if they've had that from their family already, I know when I go into schools and I talk to the juveniles, every hand goes up. When I ask who in here has been bullied or abused, the hands just all go up. So they are bully victims. Does that happen within the fire service as far as leaders being the ones who are committing the abuse or the bullying? Uh, Well, according to the Workplace Bullying Institute, which uh, is the, in my view anyway, the the foremost experts uh, on this topic, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, about 60% of all bullying comes from supervisors. So bullying is not, bullying is about power. And generally it's the power indifference that creates the opportunity for people to bully. And so often what you get is supervisors bullying, subordinates, senior members bullying, junior members, people in positions of power bullying those who are not in positions of power. And they do it for all kinds of reasons. And, but it, it just is a part of the culture of many organizations. And if it starts, now you're asking about leadership, if it starts at the top with a leader that will not allow it and, and will reinforce it with policies and training and then getting out there and having observations and seeing, it'll change and it'll change right away. But many leaders, uh, again, I should say some leaders, they are the bully. That's the reason why you had the problem in the first place because it starts with them. They bully others. They allow bullying to go on in their organizations, and they can say all they want that that's not our culture. Yeah, it is, because you haven't eradicated it. So um, <laughs> I find it interesting for people to say, oh, yeah, that's not our, that's not our, we don't, we have a zero tolerance policy. No, you don't, because it keeps happening. So it's not what you say, it's what you do that matters. And I think there's something to be said for the probie who knows better, but he's listening to his captain belittling someone else. I think he's more likely to either shut up or go along with himself to fit in. That's right, because they want to fit in. You were talking about ostracism before. People want to fit in, and they learn that culture from other people. But I'd argue that on the other side, that can be said on day one and reinforced from day one that that's not what we do, or it can be not said, and then people do it anyway. So it it does, it, it takes affirmative conversation, policies, training, to let people know this is the culture we want here. It is not one of bullying. It is not one of harassment. And if you do that on the front end, it's actually easier down the road if you want to take some corrective action. You actually can show that you you told this person this is what we do and what we don't do. Often, that's how these bullies get off, is that the organization never told them what was wrong anyway, and they just follow and they bully others because that's the way you do business in that organization. All right, Captain Daniels, thanks very much for being on Code 3 today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
And there's more about workplace bullying and also Chief Daniel's company, ID2 Solutions, on our website, code3podcast.com slash bully. Check it out. Now, here comes the trivia question. Dr. Henry Heimlich invented the Heimlich Maneuver in 1974, but when did he first use it to save a choking victim? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the trivia answer. Dr. Henry Heimlich finally got to use the technique that bears his name 36 years after he invented it, in 2000. He saved another choking victim six years later in the nursing home where he lived. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. I'd like to thank Rhonda for joining me on this show, and thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.